It's one of those days or that week when everybody is a civil aviation expert, right? The Tatas have made the biggest order ever made from India, one of the biggest orders made anywhere in the world in quite some time, right? Uh, a mix of aircraft, Airbus and Boeing and again from both, from, from both building houses, airplane building houses or airplane building behemoths, an assortment of aircraft. So it's a big order and it's been talked about all the time. So everybody now is like an aviation expert. Just when we were just recovering from being balloon experts, right? From balloon experts to civil aviation experts. And, and in the middle, in the middle, we've also been Adani experts. Now, I have zero expertise on aviation, aviation. I can tell the port from starboard on a plane. I can tell the fuselage from wings, from tail wings to, uh, to cockpit, etc., etc. I know where the emergency exits are. And if I'm sitting next to them, one of them, I know what to do because I've heard that instruction so many times. That said, I'm not an expert on aviation. So I will, don't count on me to tell you what the economics of this is going to be, what the mechanics of this is going to be, because mechanics of aircraft purchase is very, very complex. I don't want to say cluttered because there is a structure to that complexity. Just because I don't understand it, I shouldn't call it cluttered because it was, if it was cluttered, aviation industry would not work. But basically what happens in aviation industry is that you do, you buy planes, but you don't really own them. You buy sell and lease them. So people have capital, people invested capital to buy these planes to, to repurchase from you and you then lease back from them. You pay them rent. Almost all airlines mostly do this and airlines which sometimes say that, look, I will own my planes, right? They sometimes come to grief. One of the reasons Jet Airways got into trouble was besides whatever else was this, that they owned too many of their aircraft because that locks up your capital. And one thing I can tell you from experience that what kills companies, what kills businesses is not even, is not even losses. It's not losses. If losses killed companies, then so many of our, uh, our unicorn startups would not have survived. And so many other startups would not have survived. Losses don't kill companies. It is not even debt that kills companies. It is the lack of cash flows that kills companies. So companies must have money in the bank, money coming in, money going out. If they have debt, they can service their debt as long as there are cash flows. But if you, if you, if you invest so much capital that your cash flows can't, can't service that, can't service your debt, then you run into trouble. That's why aviation business, which is heavily capital intensive, planes cost a lot of money, that works on sell and lease back business. But how exactly it happens, don't ask me. You will have experts telling you that. What we know is, we know the basics, that 470 aircraft have been ordered. Beyond this, it's not just that, it's not, not as if only these aircraft have been ordered. Air India now has options or rights to purchase 370 more. So if you add both of these, you are getting close to the 900, 850, 900 mark. And in addition to this, a bunch of aircraft will be leased this year by Air India, right? I'm not going into the mine. I'm not going into the details. Details we can, you, because you can you, you can get it all by googling. So I'm not going into that. 25 of this, 10 of this. I think 10 of 10 or 11 of 777s will come in today. Another 25 Airbus aircraft will come in today. Those will be leased aircraft. So Air India will have a few more aircraft. If we add it all up it's a little over 900. And once again, if you see the estimates, 
particularly estimates from CAPA, which is Center of Asia Pacific Aviation uh, International. That tells you that over these two years, beginning now, Indian carriers will order about 2,000 aircraft, right? 2,000 aircraft. And remember, in the world, there are only that many ma manufacturers. To which, to which, to which a lot of geopolitics is tied. And I will talk more about that because, as I told you, I can't, I can't, I, I can't tell you very much about how the airline purchase, resale, purchase, sale, leaseback, etc., etc. Business works. I don't know what makes airlines profitable or loss making. I can't even tell you why do so many people run airlines if so few airlines make profits. But I can t tell you a little bit about geopolitics and also also the aspects of political economy from what has happened. So let me just list eight points quickly that highlight the geopolitical, geoeconomic and some other aspects which are linked to our political economy in India. Number one, this indicates both India's hard power and soft power. That's number one. And the reason that uh, reason it indicates India's hard power and soft power, you can see that Biden, Macron, Rishi Sunak, that is the heads of heads of state or the chief executives of the three most powerful countries in the world. All three have spoken out personally, acknowledging and hailing this deal. They are also addressing, they are addressing the Indian audiences, but they are also addressing their domestic audiences. That's number one. Number two, this points to India's real strength, which is scale. And that scale is indicated in the expected ordering of 2,000 aircraft in two years by Indian carriers. Number three, and you will see these points running on your screen. Number three, there's been no scam. In fact, instead of talking about scam and asking for inquiries, there's a widespread celebration of the fact that an Indian carrier, that too a former PSU, is now making such a placing such a big order. There is celebration. It's it's seen as big, big it's seen as a big Indian achievement. Number four, it's no burden on the exchequer. It's no burden on the exchequer. No sovereign guarantees have to be given. So there is no there is no risk to the Indian taxpayer or the Indian citizen, it's all, it all belongs to the shareholder of the company. Number five, see Air India plus Vistara plus Air Asia will now merge. That is something that Air India has announced. They now own all three, one in partnership with the Malaysians, one in partnership with the Singaporeans, that's Vistara, but they will merge all three over the next year or so. Remember, nobody is saying, oh, what a folly this is. Why can't they be allowed to? Why can't they function on their own? Nobody is complaining. Nobody is even noticing it. Remember what happened when Indian Airlines and Air India were merged in 2007. Because this is now business as usual. It's a business decision. And number six, of all the areas government got in, of all the areas government, government got in, beginning with 1950, 52, 53, Air India was not nationalized in 1947 with independence. Government of India bought 49% in, bought equity in Air India. It was in 1953 that, Air in, that, that government of India fully nationalized Air India. With this now, government will get out, almost get out of aviation business. So of the, all the bad decisions government made getting into businesses, government in India got into all kinds of businesses. Aviation, civil aviation, no, not defense aviation, military aviation, civil aviation and hospitality were the worst. At least aviation is mostly cleared out now. Seventh point is, I told you the nationalization of 
Air India took place finally in 1953 when Nehru's government passed Air Corporation Act. But then they had allowed JRD Tata to continue as chairman till 1977 to maintain at least a modicum of quality and some brand image, etc., etc. But you know what? Once the government gets something, with every passing government, they make things worse and became worse and worse and worse. And finally, the eighth point that the success of Air India, if it is successful, will also tell you that that even a dead and buried brand can also be brought back to life if in good hands. So let's go back to our first point. Now, the first point was this is soft power and hard power. Why do we say so? So Biden, Macron, Rishi Sunak, all the three spoke out and see jinki rahi bhavna jaisi dekhi prabhu murat so people who are fans of modi government they say see fantastic mr modi himself is speaking he's got macron at the other end on our screens he's on the phone with biden all of them biden sunak macron three most powerful leaders of three most powerful countries in the world have hailed india's power and they are talking with modi at least who are talking directly with modi so that also shows you how India's stature is risen. Modi critics on the other hand said, see, Modi government did this on the day BBC was raided, right? So that was to take attention away and that was also to buy, say, Rishi Sunak's silence or British silence. That, Look, you don't talk about these things and I will give you deals. Now, all of them overlooked one fact, both the backers of the Modi government and the opponents of the Modi government, critics of the Modi government, both overlooked one fact that this was not an order placed by government of India. This was not an order placed by anybody, by even a company which has any equity from government of India. Even if ITC, that makes tobacco, that places an order, you can say at least they have 10-12% shareholding with government of India, not Air India. Air India is fully a private company owned by a big Indian conglomerate. So this was the Indian private sector placing this order. That's why Indian private sector being able to place such a big order that then influences the most powerful countries in the world at the top level. That is India's soft power. The hard power part is that this is something that the government of the day, any government of the day can then leverage that look, you want to be friends with our country, with my country, because I have the capacity to give you to place such big orders that will produce a million jobs, as Biden said in America, 400,000 jobs, only because of a few hundred, couple of hundred Rolls-Royce engines that will be bought from Britain and God knows how many jobs in France. So soft power can also be used as hard power. Now there's also a difference in the way politicians, the political class today, or this government, is willing to exploit or use or in cash or leverage, I would say, for the country this opportunity. The fact is that several years ago, when Indigo Airline, which I fly often, Indigo had placed a mega order, the biggest order from India. In fact, the Tata order right now is the biggest, beating Indigo's order of 300 Airbus aircraft. Then no Indian Prime Minister, nobody had gone to TV channels, talking to the French Prime Minister, talking to Whoever, whoever was making the engines, for example, a lot of the uh, Indigo Airbus engines, a lot of the engines for Airbus Neos particularly flying in India, and I think Indigo and uh, Go Air use Airbus Neo. Those are Pratt and Whitney, the American company, but still you haven't really seen any Indian Prime Minister in the past go up on TV screen saying, fantastic, I'm talking to my 
French counterpart, etc. Because those governments in the past, one, maybe the leaders were not so extroverted as this one. And second, there was a certain shyness in getting associated with the success or the glory of, the private, of, of a private sector company. That is the big change in India. That's the reason I said this is geopolitics, geoeconomics, but also Indian political economy. Next point we talked about, how this points to India's real strength, which is scale. Because India, 2000 aircraft to be ordered in a year. Now, okay, other airlines, you can say Singapore Airlines, tiny island, or Emirates Airline, a tiny Emirate, they order so many planes. That's all right. They order planes, but then India also orders 2000 planes in two years. That gives you an idea of scale. Whatever India has, India is now going to be the most populous country in the world. It's also going to be among the, if not the fastest growing, I wish it was growing at seven and a half, eight percent, but even at six, six and a half, it, India is the fastest gro growing major economy in the world. If that happens, if that continues, then India has the scale that almost nobody can rival, particularly at a time when China is a bit saturated and tired in this area. So it is India's size that gives it scale and India gets scale, benefits of scale on the positive side and sometimes perils of scale on the negative side also, bad news of scale on the negative side. India, for example, because it has such a big population, might have the highest or the second highest number of billionaires in the world or the highest number of numbers of billionaires produced in the past two, three, five years. That's looking at Forbes on the right and Oxfam on the left. India will have the highest number of everything. So highest number of billionaires to, to highest number of actual number, real number of people living below the poverty lines. So even if the percentage of people under the poverty line in India halves, India will still have the largest number of people living under the poverty line in the world because that is scale. And also, also, and also if a couple of billionaires get knocked out for one reason or the other, because of what happens in the markets, India will still produce more billionaires than almost any other country in the world. So it is scale that gives India this contrast. India, for example, if I may use a more cruel contrast, India is the cheapest provider of top class healthcare in the world. Top class healthcare, including organ transplants, top class technology, top class doctors, top class hospitals, and cheapest in the world. At the same time, India has some of the worst ravages of a poor public health system in the world. India has the largest number of rabies deaths in the world, for example, entirely preventable. So these things happen when you have scale. And the Prime Minister talks about three Ds, democracy, demand and demographics. Now, you can argue over democracy, right? Because this is a democracy. There'll be an argument about everything. And even internationally, there'll be arguments about democracy. What's the quality of India's democracy? This ranking, that ranking can go up and down. But on the other two Ds, that is demand and demographics, there can be no, there can be no argument. Last week, we had done an episode of Karta Clutter on the Pew Report on India's population, demographics, and pointing at certain opportunities. You will also see you will also see very soon an interview done with Pew researchers on the print YouTube channel. So you check that out. So demographics, nobody can deny. Demand, nobody can deny. Democracy, there will always be argument, but it's in the spirit of democracy that they, sh they should always be an argument. Next point, no scam. In the past, any time Air India ordered anything, there was a scam. I'll take you right back to 1985. 
Air India's first order for Airbus 320s. 1985, that's when Rajiv Gandhi came in. Rajiv Gandhi, the French, the French president came to India. There was India's first laser show in Delhi, right? There was a festival of France in India. And there was a kind of Indo-French spring in our relations. And that is when Indian Airlines placed an order of just 19 Airbus 320s. Just 19. I think the first of these came in in 1988 or maybe it was the 89, I think 1988. Immediately there was noise about a scam. Scam, kickbacks, cutbacks. Remember, this was the peak of Beaufort season. After that, unfortunately, very unfortunately, in February of 1990, one of these aircraft crashed while making a landing in Bangalore. After which, VP Singh's government had just come in. It was a scam season. They grounded all these aircraft. Now, these A320s are flying all over the world. These were grounded in India. Indian Airlines was already paying interest on these borrowings. Basically, Indian taxpayer was paying interest on these borrowings and, and then adding up losses. These aircraft remained grounded for political reasons. These were only, these only resumed flying next year because Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and people of Indian origin, Indian NRIs had to, Indian NRIs, many of them poor workers had to be evacuated from Kuwait, Iraq, etc. That is when, because no other aviation assets were available, VP Singh government had to swallow its pride and also start flying these aircraft. But the fact is, even since then, anytime Indian Airlines or Air India have bought any aircraft, produced any order, They've been cries of scams and they've been inquiries and CBI and CAG has written really lurid, colorful reports on this uh, on Air India and Indian Airlines. And in the process, in the process, the whole business of aviation has looked crooked. But see, since privatization took place, several airlines have shut down, including Jet Airways, which was then rated among the world's best airlines. They shut down because they had losses, but nobody... Nobody has cried for them, right? And nobody has talked scam over their aircraft acquisitions. So Indigo's ordered 300, Tata's ordered 470. The important thing is Tata's order 470 while owning a company called Air India, which is Air India plus Indian Airlines combined. If, if the government had continued owning this and they had placed an order even for 70 aircraft, forget 470, they would be a tamasha an almighty and almighty controversy so once again once again it tells you that leaving leaving what private sector is good at to private sector is always a good thing so instead of a scam right now what you have is celebration see the media see the tv channel see everything there is celebration that india has placed such a big order that an indian carrier owned by the house of tata that too over the fact that a much loved and respected indian carrier is now signaling a revival with such a big order Next, next point, I told you money raising, no sovereign guarantees, no national risk or shareholders risk. So God forbid, I'm hoping that nothing will go wrong because this is a major thing, this is, because this is a major thing of interest to all of the country. But God forbid something were to go wrong, the risk only belongs to the shareholder of the Tata group. It does not devolve on the taxpayer. And it definitely does not devolve on government of India. So there will be no CAG, no CBI, no CBC, etc., etc., etc. Then Air India will now merge Vistara and Air Asia with itself. Remember the kind of controversy that arose when Air India and Indian Airlines were merged? 
CAG wrote again, as I told you, a lurid report about this. Now, no such thing. This merger is seen as something. This merger of three is seen as something which is internal to a corporate entity. You and I are not bothered as taxpayers. Parliament is not bothered. CBI, CBC, CAG, right? That trinity of three dreaded three-letter words, dreaded by anybody who works in the government system. They will have nothing to do with this. Again, God forbid, if it fails, so what? Someone else will move into the market. It's a mar it, 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 any failure now is a market failure. This is not the failure of a political party or of a particular particular minister, etc., etc. Next, next, as I mentioned to you, number six, that of all the areas that government got in, aviation and hospitality were the worst. So aviation, they are mostly out, barring that little Pavanhans operation, the helicopter operation, they are now out. Remember, they had Indian Airlines, Air India. At one point, they, in their eternal wisdom or lack of it, they even launched something called Vayudut, then Alliance Air, Air India Express, etc., etc. Government is not doing aviation anymore, commercial aviation anymore. I do hope and wish that they get rid of the hotels they still own, Sooner the better. Ashok Hotel in Delhi, for example. If government privatizes that, sells that, that will be as big a signal for our political economy as the sale of Air India was. And finally, a reminder on political economy that many of the things that India is trying to correct now and India has been trying to correct since 1991 when reform began are the follies of the socialist era. So there was one bunch of nationalizations in the first flush of independence that happened under Nehru government. And that is when a lot of the businesses were nationalized from Air India to what later became LIC. It was a private company or a bunch of private insurance companies. And also something that we don't remember often, also Hindustan Aeronautics Limited. Hindustan Aeronautics Limited was Hindustan Aircraft Limited. It was a private sector company set up by the Walchand Group. Government of India then nationalized it. And after that, Mrs. Gandhi had her phase of nationalization when all the multinational petroleum companies, Caltex, SO, Indo-Burma Petroleum, these were all nationalized. And that's how HPCL, BPCL, Assam Oil, Oil India Limited, etc. came into, came into existence. And remember, since then, Several governments have tried to privatize these. Arun Shori, the combination of Vajpayee government and Arun Shori tried to do this. A Supreme Court judgment blocked them. Then even the almighty Modi government has been putting so much strength behind privatizing BPCL, but they've not been able to do so. So blunders made in the socialist era still endure. Too many of them endure. Fortunately, one has been rectified, that is Air India, because this order now tells us that this airline, the new owners, are really putting their wallet where their heart is. And to that extent, I would say this is a very positive move in our political economy. And you know, the thing about aviation businesses, civil aviation businesses, that in the entire world, they are essentially two manufacturers. So there is Airbus and there is Boeing. And again, for engines, maybe there are three and a half manufacturers. So there is GE, the big one. There is also the French company, CFM which works in partnership with Safran, which is another French company, and GE. There is Rolls-Royce in Britain, right? And then there is, there is Pratt & Whitney in America. That's why I said three and a half companies. I'm counting Pratt & Whitney as half because you don't see so many of them, of their engines in India. So whatever you do, you will be dealing with two countries, essentially. In, case of, in the case of Airbus, it is French, but it has a large European content. So the fact is, when you make these purchases, 
you build a lot of leverage with these three very powerful countries. And on that note, I have to also tell you a little story of how these aircraft are put together. Airbus, for example, many European countries make the Airbus, they contribute to it. That's why it's, it's also called European Airbus. So I will just tell you a story from a long time back. I think I was on a short flight between Paris and Frankfurt. And as you might have guessed, it was a Lufthansa flight. The crew was German. It was, a, it was an Airbus in which the Germans also collaborated building. But she was quite happy to have a little fun over the fact that my seatbelt wasn't fixing and that was probably made in France.